Warning, the following podcast contains spoilers for all published books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. Dornishman's wife was as fair as the sun And her kisses were warmer than spring Dornishman's blade was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's wife would sing as she bathed In a voice that was sweet as a peach But the Dornishman's blade had a song of its own And a bite sharp and cold as a leech G'day and welcome to Krakencast. This is the Oceanic branch of the Vassals of Kingsgrave Game of Thrones review series. Today we'll be discussing episode 8 of season 4, entitled The Mountain and the Viper. My name is Duncan, or Valkyrus on the forums, and joining me today from China is Bing. Hi, I'm Bing, uh, Shu China on the forums. From New Zealand we have Joseph. Uh, g'day, I go by Chow Gamer on the forums. And also from New Zealand, we have Tanya. Hi, I'm Silence on the phones. And uh, Jess couldn't make it this week, but she sends her apologies. Uh, if you have any hate mail, just send it straight to the Wolfcast. <laughs> They'll accept it. <laughs> well. So Krakencast has returned after two-week hiatus, three-week hiatus. What is dead may yeah. never die. But rises yeah. again. <laughs> Are we hard? Someone finish it. Are we hard <laughs> Thank you. Jesus. I already tried this. It didn't work. You can't start it without finishing it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a pretty explosive episode of Game of Thrones this week. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're definitely at the climactic end of the scale for this season. So it's exciting. Uh, next couple of episodes are going to be really cool too. So we'll be around to discuss that with you. Um, so to kick things off, what did you guys think of the episode? How many lemon cakes would you give it? So I've mentioned before, I tend to, the, the highs of the shows tend to overwhelm whatever negative points the show has and the, the the last fight definitely was a huge high for me so i gave it a 4.5 lemon cakes just because of the last battle was so cool to me yeah, yeah. Uh, i would say i after having adjusted all my previous metrics for inflation and having a much more well-rounded and reasonable uh, ratings i'm probably going to give it a <laughs> Uh, three and a half lemon cakes up like and i would i would say it's probably my favorite episode in the series so far like just edging out blackwater although future episodes have probably dethroned this but uh, yeah i like wait it. it's your it's your favorite episode but you're only giving it three and a half yeah well my favorite books <laughs> my favorite book is feast and as we get more of that i'm probably going to have to start going even higher and so i don't want to end up what happened last week is giving something a high mark and then thinking something much better so yeah i'm, I'm planning ahead oh. yeah so well we seem to have blazed through all of the feast chapters in this episode alone for Sansa. Yep. Oh, <laughs> so there's yeah. nothing left really. Oh, no, yep. definitely. <laughs> so I guess yeah, this was the feast episode <laughs> for some characters. Here we go. <laughs> what do you reckon, Tanya? So the last couple of minutes were obviously pretty amazing, but other than that, I wasn't I wasn't too excited about most things that happened. So maybe like five. See, that's confusing because yeah. you, you don't like it as much as Joseph, but you're giving it the same score. There's no consistency. Everyone likes. We need like an exchange rate. <laughs> yeah different sizes of lemon cakes i guess yeah. um yeah i i really enjoyed this episode um i would give it a 4.25 lemon cakes it's probably one of my favorite episodes of the season of a really strong season not my absolute favorite but definitely up there uh, i don't really have any complaints apart from sort of general nitpicks um i thought the episode was uh more exciting and engaging than last week i wasn't that fond of last week's episode um, I thought there was a lot of character changes and some really pivotal scenes with Sansa and Danny and Tyrion, and I thought they were well executed. 
And yeah, and as you say, the fight scene at the end was just incredible. And uh, I know it's incredible because I felt like nauseous afterwards <laughs> when the credit was rolling, <laughs> which is what you should feel. Uh, yeah. Exploding heads will do that to you. So that's probably a good sign. Uh, no. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's jump straight into it. We'll go uh, by location as we do uh, for each review. We'll start with the wall, which is the first scene. Um, and it begins with Molestown getting attacked by wildlings. And I thought this was excellent, probably. This scene and the last scene were uh, really sort of impressive in how cinematic they were and how awesome the, and creative the cinematography was. So what do you guys reckon of this scene? So there really is only two songs that exist in Westeros. <laughs> yeah, that annoys me, yeah. <laughs> Can she just Glad to say they realized, though. <laughs> Can she just burp her original composition? Yeah, well, it's weird, because season three, they, they did heaps of songs, didn't yeah. they? They had um, they felt like they had a song, a new song every every week for uh, a little bit. But yeah, now they've only got two. Which is sad, because there's so many cool songs. I want to hear The Last of the Giants. That's my favorite oh, song. Yeah. But I don't think... Hopefully we get that next episode. I, I wonder whether we will, because if it hasn't been in there so far, I don't know. It's so good. I hope they play it over the credits, because that'll be yeah. the scene where the giant yeah. gets killed. And, yeah, that would yeah, be amazing. Very fitting. I found one on YouTube, so I'm going to play it at the end of next <laughs> episode review anyway. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Course correct the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Uh, I, I, I found it weird that, that Igrid is perfectly happy killing women and children and everyone. And then there's that one girl with a baby and she's like, oh, you can live. Yeah, the wildlings do not care. They will just kill anyone. I quite like that because if like we, we first see them from John's perspective, which is very mm-hmm. sympathetic. Like he grows to like very much sort of fit in with them and he sees sort of the inside. And it's nice to be reminded so soon before presumably their attack on the wall that, you know, they are, from the outside, just a bunch of mostly merciless killers that'll just straight up murder people without saying a word. But then Julie gets away showing... because she has a baby. And... Well, I mean, well, they have Ygritte some was, standards. Was, Ygritte was killing the other, uh, the other uh, prostitute in the, in the end because she, the, the other prostitute attacked her, right? So maybe she's... Yeah, but they were like, oh, yeah. they were cutting women in half on the way in. Yeah, that's and true. But was <laughs> they showed no quarter. Was yeah. Ygritte herself doing that, though? Or maybe she was? Uh, Tormund did. Yeah. Tormund... Um, I mean, she she chased a woman into that room. Oh, okay. Um, and then she killed the. She got attacked by that crazy, uh, <laughs> feral woman. And killed her. I feel she, she was. And, but then she but then she cut the throat of another oh, woman who wasn't attacking. Okay. So yeah, there was it was pretty much on for young and old. Um, but it's it's weird how I mean I guess it's in it's sort of um the same thing happens in the book. You don't actually see the scenes of them uh, raiding villages, but you do. John sees the smoke coming yeah. out of Mall's town and, and the refugees fleeing from under him. So, you know, the wildlings are their marauders. They're they don't really show quarters. Their their philosophy is if you're not strong enough to defend your lands, then you deserve to die. Yeah. It's also I find the very sort of like nuanced portrayal of like violent migrations. Like if you look in history, like especially the migrations period near the end of the classical era when you'd have people like moving through Europe, just mowing down and displacing everyone before them because there was a large dangerous force that was mowing them down and displacing their land. Like in the same way that uh, wildlings are forced to come down and essentially clear out Westeros to make room for themselves because behind the wall they're being cleared out by the others who are right on their tail. Yeah. So the, the Molestown prostitutes are going to clear out the Night's Watch. You're going to take over a couple. Sarah was very dangerous. <laughs> oh, no, she was... I loved her. She was MVP. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
I love the uh, opening shot of this, the kind of really long tracking shot you get um, from the outside in the in the street um, into the brothel, sort of moving around the area. It's really cool. Um, and those couple of nice shots when that guy gets his head, his um, throat cut, you see the ripples on the um, bottom of the well, and at the end, the kind of drizzling blood through the floorboards. It was really creative. Yeah, yeah the yeah. cinematography was spot on for the uh, yeah, opening scene, definitely. Yeah, well, I guess, what did you guys think about yeah, Gilly being spared? Seemed like this little glint of humanity in an otherwise kind of uh, absolute psycho version of Egret. I would have preferred if they just hadn't found her and she had just managed to hide, and that's how she survived. That's what I would have preferred, rather than Egret daring her, because that seemed out of character, I guess. A young child was it's a sort shame. of a sore point. Like, it's one thing to kill just a random woman, but, you know, if you either kill the woman, the baby's going to starve to death without a mother, or if you kill the baby, you're outright killing a baby. So It's a shame, because we haven't really gotten much of a grit this season. Yeah, She's like one of, the, one of the better characters on the show, but we've only gotten flashes of her um, yeah. killing people. <laughs> um, I, I, guess, I guess next episode we might get a bit of her... Uh, humanity trying to protect the baby or something like that um, and maybe the final tearful John mm. the next episode so that'll be nice but I mean it, they can't really help but there is really no material for them yeah. to to get into but yeah um, did did uh, Ygrit spare Gilly because she somehow figured out that she's also wildling that was that's the one thing that might make sense but then you'd wonder why she didn't ask her to join them or something mm. so yeah we after that we transitioned to John and his brothers in Castle Black contemplating their imminent destruction either from the north with Mance Raider who's closing in or from the south um, from the, the wildling raiders who are basically at their doorstep the next stop from Milestown is uh, Castle Black I liked how they're piling on the kind of hopelessness of the situation Add some tension and some stakes to the battle. And especially sure. right after Oberyn dying, like a lot of the TV viewers that don't know what's happening next, like that, and the perfect frame of mind to believe that Martin might just throw the wall down the drain and just completely kill everyone there. Like, yeah. It's not mm. that Stan, yeah. uh, the, the good guys are under attack, but they're the good guys, so they'll be fine. There is that uncertainty that's been refreshed. Episode. Yeah. Although it will be, it will be a nice kind of fist pump moment after such a horrible uh, defeat at the end of this episode to get a nice kind of victory for the good guys at the end of next episode. A little bit cathartic, I guess, for the viewers who were probably pretty um, miserable at this point. <laughs> It'd be an interesting contrast yeah, between the, yeah. the, the, the upcoming battle with uh, Blackwater. Because, I mean, I think what they're doing next episode is just focus entirely on a wall, right? So, and, and in, in Blackwater, it's... Oh, you reckon? Maybe. Yeah. That'd be cool, yeah. I didn't think of that, right? Yeah, I... I, I, I... I mean, that, I think that would be a very cool approach because, I mean, in Blackwater, it was Stannis getting defeated. And then and, and, and in the upcoming battle, it's going to be Stannis coming to save the day. The difference is there's a lot less characters at the wall. There's only John, his mates. We've got a grid, I guess, on one side. Yeah. We haven't seen Mance in ages. So I really want to see him again because yeah. he's a good actor. Um, and we probably won't see Stannis until he arrives. So there's, there's probably less POVs to sustain that for 60 minutes yeah. as opposed to Blackwater, which had so many yeah. uh, central characters. Right, I guess. And yeah, that's true. true separate things like verging from actually fighting to just Sansa and Cersei who are just kind of stewing around being miserable inside the whole class. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they were the best scenes. <laughs> oh, misery Drunk makes Cersei, a good drama. Dealing out the wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Actually, have you guys seen the uh, next on? Uh, no, I haven't. So maybe that's proof. It looks really impressive. I'm surprised because we actually got a lot of the footage of Blackwater in the trailers yeah. uh, prior to the season. So it wasn't actually 
it was still a great episode, but we'd sort of seen a lot of the moments, such as the explosion and all that. But um, a lot of the footage I hadn't seen at all in the trailer, so it'll be really cool to see that for the first time as the episode's playing. And it looks pretty epic. Awesome. Yeah, they've got the uh, same director, and uh, I think uh, Neil something, I forget the surname, but he... Neil Marshall? I think it's Neil. Neil Marshall, yeah, that directed Blackwater is directing this upcoming episode as well. So that's oh, a good well. sign, if nothing else. Well, that'll be exciting. Yeah, I kind of hope that it is just a, a whole thing at the wall, like a movie or something. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Um, okay, shall we move on to Marine? Okay. So we got Grey Worm spying on Missandei bathing, and then he apologizes afterwards. I don't, I don't see the point other than showing some naked girl. But, which is <laughs> that is well, that <laughs> justification for HBO in the past. Let's be honest. Like, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That is its reason for being. Yeah, Hopefully, I'm not like, like, sure that there's a reason, but other than that, I can't see any point. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't see it. one of them dying violently, and so like this is kind of <laughs> getting us attached to them, and then like Grey Worm getting completely slaughtered or something like. That's about the only way I can see this paying off narratively and actually having meaning other than just filler. Grey Worm might be the first victim of the Sons of the Harpy, which would actually be uh, effective because we, we really like um, Grey Worm as opposed to the, the other victims of the Harpy who we didn't know at all. They were just faceless yeah. nothings. Hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, that Star Wars Shield story was pretty depressing for me. <laughs> oh, what if they do the same thing with uh, Grey Worm? Like he can't be with Miss Andy, so he goes for us to, to hold a girl. <laughs> be a good gut punch to end the marine storyline on for the season like because at this point they're really just going to have to either let it peter out or just murder someone pointlessly unless they want to just end with jorah just walking away depressed it's about the only <laughs> other event they can really close with I, it's a good way to kick off um anticipation for the next season as well it presents a new conflict mm-hmm. the, sh- the the flip side of this conquest yeah. you know the, the actual taking of marine has gone off without a hitch and Danny has everything she ever wanted, but now we enter the next phase, which is actually ruling and the tr- sort of problems of occupying a, a, a land that doesn't actually, a people that actually don't want you there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a bit conflicted on the, the potential death of Grey Worm because, I mean, I do really like the, the actor, but I guess they have a history of killing off uh, people who, with Danny who's not actually dead in the books. So, yeah, I, I guess that's going to be what's happening. Yeah. Trouble is, I don't really have that many characters left. <laughs> yeah, like, da- Barristan is such a nothing. He's a, like he's a cool character in the books, but he's he's just not given anything to do in the right. show. Grey Worm and Missandei are like far more prominent than they are uh, in the books. Well, you look at um, the thing that Barristan was that, and uh, for me at least in the books, he tended to just he was in the background a lot in the books. Like mm-hmm. he sort of when he was uh, white beard, he did some things, but he just kind of faded into obscurity, and we just got tales of how much of a badass warrior he is, and that yeah. added to the sense of dread when he went to uh, arrest Hisdar and the the pit fighter challenged him, and it's like, oh no, he's going to get murdered like me. But no, Barristan just threw down and kicked this guy's ass like i'm hoping that's what we get is after like two seasons of just bumming around danny's tent drinking wine he just completely dominates someone and just shows that it's not all talk he can actually fight yeah i mean they have to build him up in the upcoming season if they're going to kill gray worm uh it's literally going to be just danny and um dario and even and if missande survives this season <laughs> I really like um, Masande and Grey Worm because it gives a nice sort of insight into the div of the slaves. You know, you've got Danny. Dan- I just feel like Danny has just been completely sapped of personality. Mm-hmm. I just, I have no connection to her whatsoever. Amelia Clark's performance is just so one note and all consuming in its authority. I just, I, I'm far more sympathetic to Masande and um, Grey Worm. I think it's difficult. Like, I think it's difficult to portray Danny properly in the in the show because a lot of what's going on um, mm-hmm. is, is just that you get to see her thoughts. 
thoughts because she does she does try and act like a queen and not to show her feelings and all of that. So she does actually try to do that in the books, but then in the books it doesn't matter as much because you get to see what she's thinking. So you can still sympathize with her more. Well, I feel like Miss Sandy does provide a nice, could provide a nice insight because she's a lot softer with her. But in the scene we get in this episode, she still affects that really harsh tone. Mm. Yeah, I didn't like her with Miss Sandy scene as much. I feel that like that could have been a lot more personable Danny right there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah quite interesting the way that she thinks of the unsullied as kind of like robots like like, <laughs> like Masande confides in her like uh, Grey Worm was looking at me and it's like oh there's nothing there I think there was like, you, you do and she's kind of like it's ironic that someone who's treat, trying to get slaves treated like people rather than animals and like free them and give them a worth and yet she looks at her own army was you know just that kind of oh they're robots there's no way they're attracted to people they, they don't have the hardware for it there's no point <laughs> it's a great point yeah, yeah. um so the this next scene we get in marine is uh so Barristan receiving jorah's letter of pardon from uh tywin and he confronts him with it and then tells Danny and Danny banishes him from Meereen. Mm. So I like this scene a lot better. Yeah. Um, Danny was still authoritative, but you could see some of the softness and some of the heartache beneath it. She starts off, you know, sympathetic. It's like, you know, tell me this isn't true. Then she gets really angry. And then as they sort of close in on each other, the camera closes in on their faces and you see Jorah's anguish and, and uh, Danny kind of affects this really, it's, the vo- her voice is much lower, but it's more chilling. It's like she's completely detached and it's like, you're nothing to me now, get out. Please, girl, easy. Forget. You sold my secrets to the man who killed my father and stole my brother's throat. You want you. me killed to forgive for you. you. I have loved you. Loved? Love, how can you say that to me? Any other man I would have you executed, but you, I do not want you in my city, dead or alive. Go back to your masters in King's Landing. Collect your pardon, if you can. Nerys, please. Don't ever presume to touch me again or speak my name. You have until dusk to collect your things and leave this city. If you're found in Marine past break of day, I'll have your head thrown into Slaver's Bay. Yeah, a couple of people on the phone said it was. It, it, it seemed like she was too cold and she didn't care enough, and her performance wasn't good. But I actually think it was. I I, I enjoyed her performance, and I think it made a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I agree completely. Um, I feel like she was fighting herself. Like the, yeah. one side of her was fighting with the other side. The, the queen was the, the mother of dragon was fighting with just Danny, the normal little girl. Yeah. Um, and 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 the way she just couldn't look at Jorah this entire scene was was very powerful in a way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it goes back to, to what uh, you said earlier, Tanya, about how we lose a lot by not getting the internal monologue. Like, yeah. it's easy enough to say that she was acting very one-note and author- authoritative, but if you look at the chapter a while, but I'm just going to assume if you just look at what she does rather than what she thinks, it would probably come off the same because all that yeah. internal back and forth, she wouldn't show that to her courtiers. She would try to bury it and provide yeah. a more a monolithic response mm. yeah i agree it, it is tough to get that insight into herself that's yeah that's why i kind of yeah i, I just wish i think miss andy's the way to could have yeah. done it you could have seen a bit more of the girlish danny in that previous scene with miss andy and then contrast it with this really 
uh, deliberately harsh. Danny. Yeah, they could have given they could have given them a scene to, after that whole thing with Jorah to just give Danny a chance to talk about it, like to talk how talk about how she feels about it, because um, that would have been a chance to get some of her thoughts across in the show. Yeah, or even just have her return to her room and break down. Yeah, crying yeah, or that would. This is a really huge moment. Yeah. This is a really horrible moment for yeah. her, but we don't see that, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah. I do like how they're um, they're showing Danny problems with the way Danny's ruling. Mm. Some of her harshness, some of her dehumanizing of her soldiers and of the people she uh, presumes to govern. You see that gross shot of them taking down the stiff corpses of uh, all the men she strung up. Um, hopefully we get a bit of insight into some of the discontent in Meireen uh, before the Shadow War starts. But yeah, I think they are doing a good job of showing... Uh, how she can become a bit of a tyrant. I think there's a really cool shot in, I think it was episode six or whatever episode she takes Mayreen, or maybe it was episode four, but there's a cool shot of her standing on top of the, the pyramid and as it swoops down, it is like this this shot of a dictator surveying you know, its kingdom, and the big flag flying above the, yeah. the occupied statue. And yeah, it's very Star Wars. <laughs> um, Cool. So, uh, shall we head up to the north with Ramsey and Reek? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ramsey <clears throat> sends uh, Reek in, posing as Theon Greyjoy, to negotiate the surrender of Moat Kaelin from the Ironborn occupiers, and he succeeds. Really? <laughs> Pretty touch and go. Yeah, he for was a while, ready to though. crack. <laughs> Saved by the axe. Yeah, that was some really good acting, I thought, and that was really impressive. I, d- I didn't really. Like, I, I was. I, I was hoping he'd be a bit more active, and he wouldn't save by that axe. So I, I was kind of. Um, hoping he would kill the guy, um, but I don't know. So, so I, yeah, they could have been better, in my opinion. But the acting was really good. So. Yeah, I would have loved if he had have like come in all swagger, all confidence, like the old Theon Greyjoy, and just completely took charge of the situation. Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as he exits Mo Kalen, he just collapses back into his reek, timidness, and terrifyingness. Yeah. As soon as he sees Ramsay again. Because it would have provided a really cool contrast, but I think they did a good enough yeah. job. Um, and I, I agree, his acting is really impressive. The way he's shaking and his eyes are bugging out of his head, and he just—he is still in a way, but he—it's almost like this horror can't be contained. He's just kind of shaking at his core, slowly <laughs> falling apart. Oh yeah, he's he's in control, and he, like yeah, one thing I noticed was how he did the waters dead may never die, like because uh, it contrasts quite well with when he first goes to Pike in the second season, and like Balaam does it, and Asha just reflexively does it, and he like kind of lags behind for a second. Like at first, he's doing a good job of playing the part of of an Ironborn, and he's he's better than he was when he was actual Theon. But when mm. like Ralph Keening, who was the, the commander and is much more of an Ironborn than Theon ever was, starts pushing back and taking control, sort of as, as the situation's pulled out of his grasp, he kind of defaults back to his, his new reek mode that is, yeah. seems to be his fallback. Yeah. I was kind of hoping we'd get a mention of the bog devils, <laughs> like the reeds and all that, mm. shooting poison darts at him, because it would have been a nice mm. you know, connection between the, the reeds that Bran's traveling with. But I guess it's not essential. Yeah. <laughs> that flayed guy, that 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 imagery was <laughs> just the transition from him standing there begging for surrender to him being flayed just instantly was that that was great yeah it's like the immediate cause and effect of making a deal with ramsey it's like a, <laughs> switching it's like switching on a light it's like okay i agree to this flay corpse <laughs> Seems to be interesting just how uh, much the Ironborn seem to see chains of commands as sort of abstract guidelines. Because the way that uh, <laughs> the way the commander got brained was quite similar to the way that Theon just got smacked in the back during his rousing speech. It's sort of like there's the ideal that some 
some of them live up to and then there's the more practical i don't want to die diseased in this this shithole of a castle if i can help it yeah there's a bit of kind of uh, wildling grissy in their ranks <laughs> it's, it's interesting like, i mean like the wildlings like the wildlings that we see in this episode philosophy is basically if you're not strong enough to defend yourselves we will tear you apart and there is a bit of um, everyone has a bit of a vote. Every 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 captain is a king in their own ship, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's interesting to contrast um, these two, uh, Fion's command and this guy's command with uh, Asha's command a few episodes ago. I mean, sure, she like ran away from dogs and whatever, but she, like her men were totally totally just taking her orders with no questions asked. We're going in. We're going in. We're going out. Let's get out. That that scene actually, even though it was still a bit of an awkward scene, um, the Asha raid. Of the Yara raid, I guess, a couple of uh, episodes ago. It actually does contribute to this episode in the sense that Rue says, thanks to you, the Ironborn are basically receding from the north. Right. Just Moat Kalen that he's claimed he's actually with an attack and thrown back an Ironborn attack. So it is, it's sort of, it's part of a bigger thing. It, it's part of a bigger war, I guess, for the north, which is nice. When we're now discussing how Moat Kalen does not look like Moat Kalen in the books, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, trying to remember what what the description is it's like three towers yeah. of crumbling towers well it's falling apart or something to that extent i mean i yeah I guess... but it's like one of the most ancient castles in all of westeros yeah. and one of the towers was apparently built by the actually no is the whole thing built by yeah the, the whole thing was built by the the, the 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 children of the forest yeah because they were trying to um like the hand of dawn they shattered the house the hand of dawn with their magic and they were trying to do the same thing with the middle of uh, westeros but they failed and they only managed to create a swamp right no, I'm not sure if it was built by the children, but there is one of the towers is called the Children's Tower. So it has something to, like, the actual castle has something to do with them. Okay. I'm going to look it up, lest we be accused of <laughs> shocking lack of knowledge. I mean, it's, it, uh, it, it, I don't know what everybody thinks, but it looks pretty cool to me. It's, it looks like a down castle in the middle of a swamp, so I really don't see... <laughs> Checked all the boxes, didn't it? Yeah. It's not broken down enough, though. I, I thought it looked... And, uh, I never found the Mokalin in the books that easy to visualize. Just the idea that yeah. there are three towers left and that somehow they hold this narrow causeway. Like, I'm sure in the first book, Edid says something about how 200 archers could hold an army back, but... I know, it's just since it's so busted, I found it quite hard to conceptualize what it looked like. And no, yeah, you're definitely right. Like a broken down castle in a swamp, it works, even <laughs> if it's not. Right. Apparently it was raised by the first man. Yeah. Oh, it was the first man. Okay. But one of the towers is called the Children's Tower. I think the first man, the, the children helped the first man build the tower against the Andals. Was No, but it... I, I think it was, wasn't it when they were fighting each other, oh, the I first think... man and the children? Uh, I don't know. Okay. No, okay. The, the first <laughs> so men confusing. have hid behind it. I think it was built by the first, I think it might have just been the first, the first first men uh, to take it, sort of realized how important <laughs> it was and built a castle. First man point one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then when the Andals came, they kind of kept using it because it kept working right yeah no it eventually yeah, it became one of the best defensive it became basically the defensive castle for the north because no one can take right. it from the south so yeah. it was used to withstand the andals cool um so the other scene with the north is uh ramsey handing over the castle to his father and being legitimized the lion no king longer moment. a snow he's a bolton <laughs> i know i love um there's a few comments on twitter comparing them to like a twisted version yeah. of mufasa and simba <laughs> Everything the light touches is the north. It's such a, the hyenas have taken over Pride Rock. Know, it's such a touching moment, but between the bones. <laughs> I know it's so twisted. It's because it's like this kind of sweet moment where he's to his father, but it's like, hang on, these people flay each other. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And then the really ominous shot of them riding to Winterfell. Yeah. I, I really like that because we've we keep cutting to Winterfell every episode in the opening credits, and people are getting a bit annoyed with that because we're sort of omitting other locations such as the Eyrie and, and things like that. But I like that we continually orienting Winterfell as the heart of the North, yeah. and then without that, without actually saying we're going to Winterfell, mm-hmm. you um, they say we're going to our new home, and and then you see the the castle on perched on the hill, and we know it's not the Dreadfort because we've seen the Dreadfort. So it's a kind of subtle way of, um, yeah, establishing the Boltons as the new power of the North. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, Winterfell, King's Landing, and the Wall are the three locations they've had in every show. starting sequence. And I think yeah. they just didn't want to remove it because Winterfell is one of the real focal points of the story, along with the Wall and King's Landing. Definitely. They're the, the, the three big dots that connect everything else. Yeah. I wish we got stuff beyond the wall. Like, I guess there isn't many structures, but <laughs> cool to, like, they could have done a crossroads keep. I guess they just they just don't have enough time in that opening yeah, credits. It's gonna be like yeah. five minutes if they wanted to. Like um, every single place they had to they have to do many episode. They can only do like two like, like two like, rotating locations. I I, I recognized. Um, they they have to show some some the, the King's Landing. They have to show the wall. They have to show Winterfell. They have to show wherever Danny is in uh, Essos. Yeah. So you only have two extra locations to show. Oh, right. Okay. I think that's how... Uh, three extra locations, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Guess next episode, you will still... They, they keep checking in on Bravos, and I think the reason is they want to keep... They want to trick the audience, basically, into thinking that Stannis right. is on Bravos. Yeah. Which is cool. It sort of makes up a bit for the um the mess they did last the end of last season. <laughs> Ah uh, yeah, like let's let's go to let's go to the wall. Except let's dick around for seven episodes first. Like <laughs> they decide on a well, course really, of action, then just forget their decision. They've really had to blow out the conflict at the wall by adding all of this sort of like submissions, like taking over, uh, you know, <laughs> retaking Crass's Keep and and all the the raiding and stuff. Which I kind of understand. You kind of have to. Some things are sped up, some things are delayed because everything is moving at a different speed. Yeah. Um, so it is a bit tricky. The Night's Watch needs mm-hmm. to do all the side quests so they can power level before the boss battle at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, they need to yep. grind. <laughs> cool. Um, anything else to say on uh, Ramsey and Reach? Actually, no, there was one thing I noticed. Um, there's a nice connection between uh, Reek and Sansa, which I guess we'll get to next, which is the kind of... During the episode, they basically play the role of their former self. Um, so Reek plays the role of... He poses Theon Greyjoy, and um, Sansa, uh, Elaine plays the role of Sansa to be to appear sort of uh, meek and contrite and, and to um, gain the sympathy of the Vale Lords. Um, but because they're actually playing these performances, it kind of realizes how far away they are from that persona that they were in season one and two. Like Sansa is nothing like her former self, her sort of meek self, and Theon is nothing like the confidence swagger that he embodied at the beginning of the series. So it shows the transformation of those two characters. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I had to that way with a single point. So shifting to the eerie, uh, yeah, the Lords of the Vale interrogate Littlefinger over Lysa's mysterious death, and he claims it was suicide, and Sansa vouches for him. And she also reveals her true identity, which was going off mm. off book. What did you guys think? I like that change. I like that uh, she, she, she sort of revealed herself. I mean, at first I was like, uh, okay, where are you going with this? But everything she said yeah. made, made a lot of sense. And, uh, I tense stuff. I'm like, did you just throw a grenade onto the floor? <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. But, but it was fine. It was only those three people. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. I, I, don't, I wasn't too excited about that. But then again, I, I, I tend to prefer things to go the way they go in the books. So 
I don't know, but I, I, I just, I just feel, I just find it difficult to imagine that that shouldn't have any bigger consequences, mm. even if it's just those three people. But they just, like, I don't know. It's well, I mean, secret. I think what made it work was that she sort of knew who those three people were, so mm. she knew that that those those three are kind of trustworthy people that wouldn't just spout her. Although I, although, so I, I know one of them is uh, Jan Jan Royce, and the other is Lady Wainwood. Uh, Who's the third guy? <laughs> He is. I, I saw this somewhere. He's a. I think it's Vance Corbray, who's like an invented Corbray. Uh, Even though they have okay. two brothers, they just made up a third one. <laughs> they don't want the uh, creepy pedophile one as a character. I guess they're afraid of that. <laughs> right. right. Fair enough. That's uh, he, he was just a seat filler. He didn't. Right. <laughs> Essentially, no. What worries? Like I found the uh, the fact she revealed her identity. It's fine now, but some of my favorite scenes in the books are the way that when the Lord's declarants start getting antsy and like go up to Baelish now he plays them off one by one I'm just mm. wondering I'm thinking they're gonna have to deviate far too much since the whole San- like they'll know who Sansa is and so they'd have too much leverage on Baelish for the old plot line to work and I know I just get worried when the uh, writers have to start yeah. making their own stuff up and go off book yeah yeah that's kind yeah. of my feeling as well I don't think it's a problem for now but no. I just can't imagine that it won't have any consequences I think they've just skipped that whole subplot right. I think they've just gone straight to him bringing them all onto his side um, and it's kind of a clever move by Sansa because she knows that they are sympathetic to the Starks. That guy was a friend of her father's, mm. um, and these people did want to support Rob in the war. So revealing herself as a Stark and, and positioning Littlefinger as the her- heroic savior of the Starks does kind of get them on their side. Mm-hmm. My one concern is that they've sort of churned through a lot of the material. I mean, there's only three chapters in book four and five for Sansa, but they've pretty much bridged it. I mean, the only chapter left is them making their way down to the Bloody Gate. Yeah, um, that's it. So what the heck are they going to do for next season? <laughs> when the winter's well, coming. And moreover, has is, have they actually spoiled stuff for... Uh, the idea of them taking um, Sweet Robin around. I guess I guess you kind of get that in book four. They do tell them that they're going to um, take him down and yeah. the Lord of the Vale as, this, as their lord and try and bind up all the disparate houses. So I read that as uh, Littlefinger Vail. putting Robin in harm's way. Like, he knows this is a sickly boy, and so he's going to start parading him around, like, the mountain province in the middle of winter. I, I saw that as Baelish <laughs> literally trying to get him killed, but in the most, uh, like, oh, I'm doing a good Maybe, thing yeah. for him. And so he can say that <laughs> when uh, he falls off his horse because he has a seizure walking on a mountain path or something. But surely Littlefinger is stronger with sweet robin in his pocket like once you lose sweet robin isn't there a bit of a power back well, in the books he wants to he wants sweet robin yeah, out of the way so that he can yeah. get uh, harry the ear to take over but we he's got to arrange that yeah. first we yeah, don't yeah. know if that's going to happen with the i show. guess we'll see that next season yeah. next season we'll see him trying to arrange a marriage between harding that might be where they go yeah. and flesh that out a bit Since there is the marriage between hopefully sansa and sweet robin being floated already they may just skip all that and combine harry the ear with robin oh, they could. oh yeah that's true yeah lots of weddings <laughs> yeah we we might get Sansa and Sweet Robin and uh, around the same time as Marjorie and uh, Tommen. <laughs> Um, so the books that we haven't seen actually Harold Harding at all, right? We just heard his. We just heard his. Yes, although reputedly he's a bit of a womanizer. Uh, yeah, and he like he has a bastard already or something. He can at least beat up a couple squires in a melee, and so that's how he got knighted. That and the womanizing are like the two character traits that we've been told about. Mm. 
So what did you guys think of Sansa this episode? She's kind of becoming this uh, ice queen seductress kind of thing. I don't know. What, it's a, bit, a little bit creepy considering how young she is. She's she's becoming a lot more of a, aware of her sexuality. She's starting to use it. I mean, I like uh, most of the scenes. I think the very last scene, just it's just the dress makes her look kind of... I mean, she looked like Angelina Jolie in the recent... In the upcoming movie, so it's it darts yeah, from descends. I took from it. It's just a that weird reveal on the steers. It's just yeah. I saw Katniss, Katniss as well yeah, on yep. Twitter. Baelish's oh, yeah. sigil is the mockingbird. That's close enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to get those tween audiences. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's just a weird look at the very end, I think. It's just weird whiplash and a weird smile. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, she seems too far in one direction because the Sansa we know in book four still is a very sweet, innocent girl. Yeah. I mean, she is becoming a lot more politically savvy and a lot more... Um, I think it's implied towards the end of book four that she's going to have to sort of charm uh, Harold Harding to her side. Yeah, I, I, um, I do, so she's I, becoming a bit more aware of her sexuality, but she's definitely not this far into it. Yeah, I do think this is where she's it's, going in the books, but it's just a lot faster than in the books. It's rather Cersei-esque. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, like in the books, um, I think in book four, she was like, she learned the ability to lie. That's an achievement. And in this Sansa, it seems like it's just, she's just speeding up several levels towards um, savvy political Sansa. <laughs> That, that that whole performance she gave to the Lords of the Vale, though, that was so yeah. awesome. That was such a fist pump moment. It's like, yes, Sansa. They're finally showing that Sansa is not an idiot. Mm-hmm. She has agency and intelligence, and oh, she's she's awesome. <laughs> Lord Baelish is my uncle now, in truth, by marriage. He's always been so kind to me. I was so happy to be here, to be free, all because of him. But my aunt turned on me. She cursed me, called me a whore, promised to throw me through the moon door. When Lord Baelish tried to calm her, she struck him. She said she didn't want to live anymore. She stood on the edge of that moon door. He tried to reason with her, promised her she was the only one he had ever loved. But she stepped through those doors and she was It's not your fault, sweet girl. I, 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 yes, I agree with you on that, but still I just can't side with Baelish. I can't help but feel that if she'd have just played it straight and told the truth, she'd be in a better position. Like, yeah. If she'd just, hmm. like, yeah, I'm Sansa Stark, and this creepy guy, pedophile, and smuggled me out of King's Landing and killed Lysa. Throw him in a dungeon and please keep my identity secret. Like, I can't help but feel that would be a better ending for her, even if hmm. less fist bumpy. True, I guess, I mean, the... The argument Littlefinger offers is that better the person you know than these three strangers who might have their own designs. At least Littlefinger's imply that, that he wants to get her home. Oh, yeah. Dodgy as he is, he is trying to protect her, at least, <laughs> definitely. Like, it's... I mean, she knows he's dodgy, but I guess she thinks he's not dodgy enough. She, well, I think she, 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 know, she can control him to an extent. I think she knows at this point, like she has read, and she, she, she basically just knows exactly what Peter's uh, motivations are at this point. That P- Peter, after pushing Liza off the out of the moon door, has basically nothing to hide from her anymore. Where she just doesn't, she's just not completely sure what the other three's motivations might be. Yeah, I would like a partnership between the two characters. That might be cool because more so than the book she is shown in this episode to be, she sort of gets the upper hand on him. She shows that she manipulates things to her advantage rather than just playing a part in his plan. 
So Littlefinger definitely isn't as impressive as he is in the books, but they might be working together to, to sort of take over power in the Vale, which could be cool. And well, you know, because the the Vale is a powerful kingdom. I mean, it's the, one of the two kingdoms that wasn't devastated by the war. It still has all its crops and its vegetation, and you know, it's much more much better prepared for winter than the rest of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. powerful entity. Uh, and at the end, we get Arya and the Hound <laughs> arriving at the Eyrie. <laughs> Um, and they learn that Lysa is dead and Arya thinks that is the funniest thing in the world that was that was a great scene it was yeah it was yeah it wasn't what I expected but then again it makes sense so yeah it's like every, like so many things have gone wrong for Arya so many things at that point you just laugh at fate <laughs> yeah what else? and the hound the hound's expression and her laughter it's just like the gods are just messing with us at this point yeah. <laughs> And they uh, just, I like the uh, shot as it like zoomed out and just showed all the guardsmen up on the cliffs and, and all the people just, and then just that laughter echoing just throughout the uh, canyon. Yeah. Um, this, this is a bit weird because the two sisters are unnervingly close to each other, certainly closer than they've ever been in the books. Um, I can understand how the Hound and Arya might leave because there's no one to treat with. There's no ransom to be had, but I don't understand why the Knight's Bloody Gate would be aware of Arya Stark's existence one of the most prized noble women in the Seven Kingdoms, and let them go. Yeah. Unless they just don't believe them. I'm thinking that's going to be the hounds, like how the actor said he had this really long fight scene that went on forever and ever. I think that's going to be like, they're going to sort of turn and walk away. The Vale Knights are going to realize what's getting away, and they're going to sort of pursue them. And mm. the hound's going to have his big stretching fight scene in episode 10 as they try to outrun the Vale Knights. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Mm. I mean, kind of makes they're kind of surrounded though like they're sort of mm. i don't know how they get away <laughs> they've got like archers on all sides of them and they still have spearmen up on the cliff tops as i said a couple <laughs> episodes back it's still annoying <laughs> me <laughs> it's like the best part of their week yeah. when someone finally walks up the way quick pick up your spear there's people <laughs> <laughs> do i get a spear someone so this is a bit weird. Like, I think this is more potentially far more damaging than Sansa revealing herself to the Three Lords of the Vale. I mean, this is just a huge collection of soldiers and knights in the Bloody Gate that she's just told she's Arya Stark, that she exists. And that's, I can't, I don't understand how they would let her go. It just, it seems like odd writing. I think there's probably a better way they could have done it. Like, he could have not revealed it was Arya Stark like, the way he did with uh, the Red Wedding. Well, either they won't believe them, or they'll just have to kill everyone. I don't know. The veil is by nature pretty isolated, so they could just say the only thing that gets out of the veil is rumors that this may have happened. Like, they could just play it off that, you know, this girl's clearly crazy. She isn't Arya Stark. She's laughing, and we're going to trust <laughs> some random soldiers in the veil. Nah, she's dead. Yeah, I think I think they're the not, not realizing she's actually Arya Stark. Not believing she's actually Arya Stark is what they're going to go with. Yeah, maybe we'll get a, a scene with that same knight saying, oh, there was some troublemakers pretending to be Arya Stark. Right. Or something like that. But we shall see. I mean, we only have to wait a week to find out. <laughs> or maybe two weeks if the next episode is all about the war. Right. I'm wondering if... Uh... But I guess I guess we've all we have left to do is... I mean, he might have a fight. I, I'm prob- I'm thinking maybe the, the big fight that the Hound was talking about was that one in the first episode. And he has, you do see the infection on his neck. So all that might be left is for them to basically wander away from the veil and die in the woods. And Arya gives him the gift of mercy and then goes off to Bravos. I'm wondering if they're going to run across Brienne and Pod because Brienne and Pod are yeah. getting towards the veil. And the only way into the veil is through the bloody gate. Or at least that is how it is in the books, I think. I'm not sure if it's like that in the show, but 
if they're on the same road and heading in opposite directions, they may run across each other or Brienne and Pod might run across the Hound's uh, grave, quote-unquote, or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Best well, line of the episode, by the way. Who would pass the bloody gate? The bloody gate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. But yeah, that would be cool if uh, Pod and Brienne have a pass. The ship's passing in the night. They keep doing that. Yeah, they do. And sort of teasing the audience a lot. But I, I, I like it. It's cool. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe they'll get to the gates of the... Um, that might be a way of doing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brienne and Pod could get to the gates of the Vale and they learn from the night that someone call, calling themselves Arya Stark yeah. was here and, and they, yeah, they follow her to the salt pans. I wonder if they're going to do the sack of the salt pans. I guess they can't because Rorge and Vida are dead. Generic okay. band number um, 22 and 24 <laughs> might do it. There's not enough bandits in this show. <laughs> They're all in the north. Like, the, the wildlings have stolen all the good kills. No, I just want to say, oh. Bronze Yon Royce was wearing an insufficient amount of bronze. I just want to throw that nitpick <laughs> out there. That really bugged me, being, being the large overarching things. I'm not much of a purist, but on little details like that. I mean, they had, the, the Thens had little bronze scales. Surely they could have used some excess bronze to make a breastplate or something. But yeah. What was his breastplate made of? It was just regular steel. It was just a normal purist, nothing special. They could have at least painted it orange or something. Like That's Bronzeon's main character development, is the fact that he wears a really old bronze suit of armor. <laughs> it's his character. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> So, so Tanya, you didn't really like the episode as much. Do you want to air some of your, any other complaints you wanted to air? Um, I, I guess so. I, I didn't really have huge problems with it, other than the bug scene that's coming up. Because why? <laughs> why? 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 What? And I didn't like the the missing day gray worm thing too much either. But that's like the the main negative points that I have. But other than that, I didn't really have much positive to say. Like I didn't like the Sansa revealing herself um thing either. So I really the only thing I really like about it was the last couple of minutes, and that's just enough for me to say that it was a good episode, even though those last minutes were really amazing. So you just yeah you just generally bland overall, apart from a couple of scenes. Yeah, there's there's some things I disliked, and there's really only one thing that I liked, and it's and other than that, it was just hmm. I don't know. I'd... Yeah, that sounds like how I felt about last last week's yeah. episode. Was it wasn't terrible it just wasn't as inspired as some of the better stuff this season but yes shall we uh, i guess move on to the scene in question this weird five minute (laughs) seven minute beetle conversation in the park what did you guys what did you guys think about this it was interesting i actually Um, want to defend it i see the point yeah to me it's it annoyed me i found it very boring very droning a very heavy-handed either atheist metaphor or meta criticism of george just killing things by reflex but to me it's shown it's sort of after all the fears of them trying to whitewash Tyrion I think this is the good first peak of that chaotic really cynical philosophical Tyrion we get all through the start of dance which that was the first point for me I found Tyrion interesting in the books and I, I, I like this scene as long and as boring as it is because Tyrion and dance is long-winded and boring, and this is a good sign. That's my opinion of it all. Yeah, I agree. I think it works for two reasons. One is it, as you say, it shows the growing Tyrion's growing nihilism. He says, you know, you know, wine is good, it eases the pain or whatever, and then he goes on this long rant about beetles that nobody cares about, and it's this weird meditation on his own insignificance and the sort of sadism of the gods and the pointlessness and randomness of life or whatever um i mean it is long-winded but that's kind of the point Tyrion is being long-winded he's he's stopping us from getting to where we want to go we're like just get on with it get on with it don't care about your beetles um 
I did like the shot of him letting the beetle go. That was kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah, well, not but the other really reason I liked it was Roly Poly. I I want to say Slater, but I heard someone else call it a woodlouse. Whatever it is, not a beetle. Just that no, nitpick aside. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. Okay. Um, the fact that it was so monotonous kind of I don't know. Kind of added more excitement to the actual battle because it was so. Come on, get on with it. This is boring. This is nothing. It's slow and contemplative. And then you mount to this really cool fight scene, and in the last thirty seconds, you have absolute horrible sort of reversal of fortune so i don't know i kind of like the shifting tones they accentuated the more exciting part of the scene so uh, anyone any other comments on the beetle scene yeah beetle gate yeah i mean <laughs> beetle gate um i mean it's something that it's something that the show likes to do actually like insert just like random long metaphorical speech i mean i've seen them do it i mean the, the more famous ones the chaos and chaos is the latter scene in with peter in season three as well I mean, I, I've seen, I've been trying to read a lot of different sort of recaps and just see what everybody is thinking about what the speedo scene means. And I get what, and I understand what you you say, Duncan, and what most people have said, what, why this scene sort of makes sense and works. But it's just hard not to sort of think more cynically and is that they're just trying to create some sort of actory scene and just stretch it way too long. So you, you thought it was um, like a showcase yeah. for Dinklage or something? I mean, it's it's it's. But well, I don't know if it's a showcase so much as it's it's it, it's something they like to do. It's sort of just put two characters together that's that weren't sort of there and weren't together in the books. I mean, Jamie and Tyrion wasn't didn't really talk until I think way after the way after the the the, the, the trial by combat. Yeah. Whereas here, you just want to get them together and just let them talk randomly about things. And sometimes those dialogues are really good, but sometimes those sometimes they can get a bit too much. Um, they, they can get a bit too long, or the metaphors just doesn't quite work, or it's just it's it just seems it just seems like a time filler at times. I mean, that, that, mm, I, I guess I felt it was so evidently uninteresting as a scene <laughs> sure. that they were trying to. They were, I think they were trying to get at something. I don't know. I, I do think it does add a sense of melancholy to Tyrion that is going to be accentuated, which I think is effective. It does. Uh, I just um, feel like it's kind of. Sorry. Just, I'm sorry. It just feels kind of heavy handed. It just feels kind of heavy handed, just using this long sort of metaphorical speech in which. I feel like they could have gotten there with just a few more, few less words and um, and more just acting. So, but that's just how I read the scenes. It was so slow sure, and yeah. obviously boring. Like I, and I think the crew that do this are more clever than that. Like I would, I hope that they put something so slow and boring and on purpose to make a point. But yeah, <laughs> sure. I can't be sure. I love how the argument is: this scene is so bad that it has to be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so bad it serves a purpose at least. Yeah, that's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we have seen the actual payoff of that scene anyway. So uh, I'll reserve judgment. I just didn't get anything out of it. Um, didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I think Jessica's trying to join. Do I have to add her? Or she should be, I, I she should her, be able. Should... She should be able to just click join conversation. Yeah, call. I think. Yeah, I like the oh, like idea that it's just a metaphor for George, who just kills all the things we love just to mess <laughs> with us. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, hey, Jessica. Hello. I've only just finished the episode a minute ago. So. <laughs> nice. Feeling a little nauseous. Uh, I actually, I actually yelled out loud. Um, never done that before. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> cool. So, Jessica, you've just arrived for the final uh, scene. We're in King's Landing. But did you want to um, give your lemon cake rating and quick thoughts on the episode? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I haven't had time, enough time to process yet. Um, let's give it a 3.5 just to make things easy. Um, two glasses of wine and I'm, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, 3.5. Um, I had a few issues. Obviously, Danny was in this episode and her acting was terrible. Um, <laughs> Sansa was wearing her black swan dress. And, um, yeah, Miss Sandy forgot everything she learnt as a translator in Astapor. But whatever. Um, <laughs> there we go. What do you mean she forgot what she oh, learned? She, she didn't know if the Unsullied were cut root and stem. Oh, um, right. Why did you <laughs> not was... work for the guy who did the Unsullied stuff? Didn't you explain mm. how Unsullied worked to Danny? Oh, yeah, she's like one of their chief salesmen. <laughs> she should be able to explain all <laughs> the particulars. Yeah, so I found that, I found that strange, but... <laughs> <laughs> and also, I wasn't a fan of um, Tyrion and Jamie picking on their retarded cousin. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of awkward, really. Uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll um, let's continue. <laughs> so, what did you think of the beetle scene? Was it was it terrible, or did it serve some kind of purpose? Nope. <laughs> Just a rumination on beetles. Yeah, I kind of kind of tune out and refill my glass. Um, <laughs> well, 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 let's get to the best scene in the episode, or maybe the least, <laughs> the hardest to watch. Yeah. But the the fight between the mountain and the viper. Um, yeah, I thought this was excellent. One of the few scenes that lived up to my expectations. It probably got probably could have gone on a bit longer, but I thought the choreography was really interesting and exciting, and the final moment was appropriately horrifying. And I can't get that image out of my head, even though we we didn't actually see it. I still can't get it out of my head. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! the best fighting choreography in the entire show i mean most fight choreography i would sort of just chuckle and say okay whatever yeah they couldn't have had the fight for too much longer because they would have run out of flippy things for everyone to do um yeah and at one point he did his spear get broken and then he got a new one Yeah, I think that happens in the book. Like, he starts off with three wooden spears, they all get broken, and then he has to finish with a metal spear. It's, like, not as long, though. So he he doesn't quite have the distance that he does for the first couple of spears, and that's kind of what undoes him, maybe. That's pretty standard. Like, that's why they had squires nearby with backup weapons. Like, when they're in the tent, you can see there's an entire spear rack there with them. Like, they understand that weapons break, and it's a bit of a bad jewel if someone has to finish it with fisticuffs. So it should have backups. <laughs> but that would yeah, that's quite that would cool. be the gods. It'd be off. the gods' will, though. If you if you don't have if you lose your weapon, I mean, isn't disarming someone 
how you win a fight. Like you disarm them and then because you have a weapon and they don't, they, you kill them. They don't get to go, hang on, hang on, stop, don't kill me. Let me go get my other spear and we'll keep fighting. Time out, time <laughs> yeah. out. Well, if you look, he flipped out of the way and got, he made distance. He, he earned his second spear. He didn't, yeah. he didn't call yeah, time. The mountain didn't stop. The mountain didn't stop. He was still going to kill him. Uh, Oberon's just way faster. He double jumped out of the way and um, <laughs> a new spear. That was so cool. <laughs> he did a backflip from lying yeah, down. Yeah, kind of like this break dancing move where he just kind of spun up and, and went <laughs> over the sword. I mean, they said, they said that Oberon, uh, I mean, the actor Pedro Pascal actually trained with an actual like um, Chinese martial arts um, yeah. trainer. And that really showed. It's, 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 it's actually like Eastern martial arts that he's doing. They, uh, they yeah. interspaced it. I saw a, uh, it was like a freeze frame breakdown pointing out when and when not the actual uh, Wushu master was just there in his place. But a lot of the work yeah. he did actually do himself. It felt very seamless. I didn't, it wasn't like, it was always a close up on his face and then cut back to this random figure doing backflips. I think it joined together mm-hmm. nicely. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing I want to point out is the, uh, just this, I like the contrast between uh, Arya's like flippy dancey rubbish she did earlier in the season. <laughs> like, this was just as acrobatic yes. and just as artsy, except the Most entire time Oberon looked dangerous. It's like you could sort of see like him spinning his, his spear around. It served a purpose. It wasn't just being flippy and artsy for the sake of it. He looked yeah. dangerous, whereas Arya was, uh, was just kind of dicking around and doing cartwheels <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Well, there was, a, there was a theatricality to it, but that kind of added to it. It made it seem like he put the mountain off his guard. He wasn't sure where the spear was coming from. And the more he, mm-hmm. the more he flipped it around, the yeah, it just kept coming at it angles and i love the way he sweeps across his feet and he has to jump back like he over the and the the flippy things like it wasn't so much uh, just doing flippy things like he was retreating but he was retreating you know with a whilst doing a flip with a freaking spear in his hand (laughs) so it was it wasn't it was like if he'd just been running backwards like a little wuss um you know it's it's all about it is partially the the theatricality of it and how you know he comes across as a bit more scary rather than running running away every time the mountain comes at him with the sword and there's a bit where he drops the spear and like kicks it and the spear like lashes out at the mountain and he sort of jumps back yeah so cool it's it's very much about um sort of picking out the weakness trying to find a weakness and 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 attack the mountain there and and it's it's stuff that i mean i've read way too many um chinese martial arts novels for my own good <laughs> but uh but it, it's, it's stuff that, that gets repeated a lot because china um in those novels it's not about size it's not about like pure strength it's about sort of skill and being able to be smart with your moves and be able to pick out the opponent's weaknesses and i feel like uh, Oberyn's moves in the show um, captured all of that, so I was I was giddy. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it would have been nicer to do it a bit close to the book where he actually ties him out. But it, I think they they achieved the same yeah. effect. They, he was continually flipping around, mm-hmm. turning the mountain this way and that way, humiliating, knocking knocking his helmet off. And like I thought, Oberyn was perfect. I, the only problem was the mountain. I didn't think was quite as awesome as he could yeah. have been. Like I, I still think that that original actor was kind of the perfect. Moment. Right. Like you don't need this huge muscle bound man. Like all you need is really enormous armor. Mm-hmm. Like that that serves the same purpose. Yeah. And his helmet was stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, his shitty little helmet that just fell off his head when he like, turned a bit quickly. You need like a black, he's supposed to be this void of humanity, this black metal monstrosity. Like if you can see his face, he loses his, his, the horror of what he is. Yeah, um, he's just, his face isn't that scary. Yeah. He's just kind he's of, kind of cute and chubby. Yeah. Teddy kind bear with a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have scary. to say, one thing I did miss was um, the stable boy getting his arm and body chopped off. 
Um, <laughs> no one understands. It's important I think they just have shown enough gore in this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might have, that might have distracted from the the, the moment that yeah. After, but I looked away for that. I could not. I couldn't. The end of it. I had to look away. No, it's hard. I was, I was grinning. I found the only thing that unnerved me was uh, right at the start of the point where it turns and where he gets that like smack in the jaw. And that mm-hmm. cutaway, and then just the teeth sprinkling along like skittles. That made me queasy, but everything else yeah. I was fine with. Uh, one thing that bothered me I a little bit. Was horrific. Sorry, I thought it was horrific. Just, oh, I don't know. Part of it's just the whiplash of the moment. Like he's building the, the fight is so enjoyable and awesome, and he's just she's just humiliating the mountain and the anger and iration in in what he's saying. Like the delivery of, you know, you killed her, you raped her, you killed her children is so angry and fierce and passionate. Yeah. It gives you chills. Um, and then to have that ripped away, it, it's worse than the Red Wedding and Ned's death in a way because he was standing on victory, he cl- he, mm-hmm. but it was snatched away from yeah. him. And then the, f- the physical imagery of this person that we've like really loved throughout the whole season, this was his greatest moment to see his eyes go black and his teeth ripped out and him screaming, Ugh, t- like stomach churning. Yeah. One thing one thing that bothered me was that the hound was uh, not the hound, the mountain was just. Um, was just lying there, but then he got up again, and it's kind of like, yeah. like he was just faking it. Whereas I don't think he gets back up in the books. No, he's got the spear still sticking out. In the books, he has the spear sticking out of him, and Oberyn's kind of standing over him like he's conquered him, having a bit of a chat to him, and then the mountain just like re- reaches up, drags him down, and then pops his eyes out. Um, and I, I reckon that could have been that. That still could have been good because at least then the mountain's still sick enough; he can't get up. But Oberyn was dumb enough to be within arm's reach, and that's enough yeah. for the mountain. And I think that would have been a bit more effective. But hey, everyone's still really upset. I've seen the. Yeah. I, I feel like at work today there was a worse reaction than what there was to the red wedding. And that's saying yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. That was it was that turn of fortune. It, the red wedding was kind of an uneasy situation going downhill, where this was like awesome victory. Oberyn just completely dominating this threat, mm. and then right at the last second gets reversed. Like Tywin proclaims them guilty cut to credits like so quick I, exactly it was so quick yeah. it was no it was a 30 second 20 second thing it was victory and then in a span of nothing you see this horrific imagery tearing you're declared dead credits like <laughs> what? And, with, and, with everyone, <laughs> and everyone's looking at each other like yeah we did it you know you've got Ilariel and jamie and Tyrion, and they're like yes we've got it like you, <laughs> it's always Confetti. Yeah, but there are, I've also had people at work coming up to me and asking me, "So is Tyrion going to die now?" And oh. I'm like, Aww. "Oh," and I, I and I hadn't seen it yet. I only just watched it, so I was like, "Well, pretty sure um, Tywin's going to condemn him to death, so he's on death row now." And they're like, "That's not an answer." And I'm like, well, "He's <laughs> been condemned to die. Like, like, what do you want me? Do you want to know the answer?" And they're like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, just they're so distraught they can't decide whether they want to. They want answers. They want answers, but they don't want to be spoiled. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I, I understand that though. I don't know. <laughs> 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 
something I quite liked about it was uh, the way it kept cutting to Jamie, who was just sitting there grinning, just sort of showing like, this is a man that's one of the few men that could go toe-to-toe with the mountain, who's seen a lot of fights, and he, he knows that Oberyn's just kicking ass. Yeah. Like, and everyone else is really unsure, and Jamie's just sitting there grinning, because as far as he knows, like, he's pretty certain he knows who's going to win, and yeah. he was right, mostly, until mostly. the end. Yeah. You know. I've, I've seen it discussed on the forums. Again, I do terrible things to myself. I read the forums before I watch the show. Like, what am I doing in life? <laughs> um, but, I've, <laughs> but I've seen it discussed that, like, if the mountain dies, like, technicality is if they both die, does that mean Tyrion gets off? Or maybe it was on Winter uh, is Coming on the Unsullied forums that they're asking that. Yeah, what if they impale themselves and die at the exact moment? Eric and Eric, is it? The, the twins? Yeah. yeah. You get a judge's call, just winning by points. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mistrial. It's a mistrial. Tiebreaker, we need another fight. <laughs> oh, so sad. So sad to lose such a good character so quickly. I mean, we knew it was going to happen, but but it was it was just yeah. like not just because we we love the Red Viper, but because the actor was just so good and he did yeah. such an amazing job with the role. It's so sad to see a good actor like that go, and we're still stuck with Amelia Clark. So you know, <laughs> like it's terrible. I, part of what 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 made this this scene work so so well was that Pedro Pascal played the swagger of. Oberyn so well throughout the entire season. He seems like someone who's just basically invincible. Nothing in King's Landing faces him. And just that final, just that, the fight, that final moment right before he realizes he's going to die, he just screams. It's just painful. Yeah. Yeah, well, he had the swagger, but he also... I don't know. He was, he was smart too. This person, yeah. like he was fighting for something good. He was aggressive. He didn't, he didn't have the values of people like Tywin or the Lannisters. Yeah. And, and he felt genuine as well. I mean, he was a force of good in the world. <laughs> Yeah, he, he did. He did like stab that Lannister guy's hand for what's near song. Yeah, he's a little bit unhinged. <laughs> but so many veins on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, and he took pleasure in it too. He's like what a weirdo. But I, I think I just loved that it was a genuine character that you could see existing, and I just I loved how they had the um like the lines from the book were almost the same, and you know the screaming of um Ilya's name. You raped her. You murdered her. You murdered her children. Ugh. Just the best scene. Yeah, his final delivery. Oh, they're just because the, he starts off with he starts off grinning. He's charming. He's happy. It's all a game to him. He's toying with the mountain. But by the end, it's just all of this uh, anger and grief about what happened 15 years ago bubbling to the surface. Yeah. It's like oh, the delivery is amazing. Yeah. Even like I'm sad to see him die, but he's like. He's one of the stars of the season. Like, you know, Jamie was the star of season three, but Pedro Pascal, he's like immortalized. It's like Ned, they can't ruin his character. He's, he's <laughs> perfect. Forever, forever young. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Rob or John or some of the other, or, or um, Danny, they've kind of, their characters have kind of gone up and down, but Oberyn is shit him really yeah. well. I saw it was an unsullied that thought, uh, like, when he was, Pedro Pascal was just raging out at the end of the fight. Like, he genuinely thought that Oberyn was just going to tie one, toss his spear. <laughs> Like that's how convinced this person uh, was. Oh, like, it been the best thing ever. Yeah, he was also completely. Are you not entertained? <laughs> it, it did feel a bit like that. Like it wasn't just him killing, taking out his own personal revenge on the mountain. I mean, he could have done that in his own time. He could have poisoned him. But it was about the public, the public con- 
condemnation of Tywin and Tywin's role in it. And he even points to Tywin and says, you know, who who made the order? Like, it's not just, it wasn't just his own personal revenge. It was telling the world who did it. But unfortunately, I think the world's moved on from Ares and Elia and Rhaegar. And I think that's that's the sad thing about his death is that he got a revenge for a crime that no one really cares about or remembers. But he wanted, I think he really wanted justice more than revenge. Yeah. Which yeah. is why he cared so much about it being public and about um, getting that confession and everything. And that's his downfall. If if he just yeah. wanted revenge, he would just kill the mountain right there and then. Yeah, he would have just had it. That would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I would say it wouldn't be. I'd say it would be uh, Doran that wanted the justice because like, it's revealed later in the books how the Red Viper is like closely under Doran's like advice and administration I feel if left to his own devices Oberon would have just murdered them all one by one but I feel Doran would have said no you have to do this clean try to get proof first before you go poisoning people yeah well, maybe book yeah. Oberon, Oberon rather than in the show no, like in, in the show um because we don't really get to see Doran just yet anyway um I feel no, like this in, is like a long form yeah. idea they, they name drops, out no? the show. we're going yeah no we're going to see him next next season yeah sure um so we have a lot to look forward to yeah this <laughs> I like in book four they describe as the grass and the snake because <laughs> Doran is the grass that hides the snake. But why well, they're such a good team, um, like Doran's planning and sort of by the book playing the game balance as well with Oberyn's like spur of the moment improv. They balance mm, each other, or at least presumably they do. Yeah. If we heard more of them together, they probably would. Do you think we've gotten enough? Um, like this, also, this I guess it will. The character's death will be enough to spur uh, events in Dawn. Yeah. Um, yeah. I assume we're going to see Dawn next season. We will. Yeah. And the outrage over over like he's such a beloved character on the show. I think it probably will be enough to mm-hmm. um, motivate, be, be believably motivating for the characters in yeah. Dawn, his daughters and and Doran. Yeah. The trouble is there isn't a whole lot for them to do in books <laughs> four or five. Oh, don't and worry. They've got to kill Darkstar. They, they <laughs> Please kill Darkstar. Darkstar. Who's who's going to be cast as Darkstar? The actor that played Benjen, I'm telling you. We've already figured this out. <laughs> In his black cloak. With a white stripe down the middle, you know, to represent the, the white streak in Darkstar's hair. Years of the Night's Watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. The more characters they introduce, the less we have to spend with established characters. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. I haven't worked out what I prefer yet. I mean... I feel like some of their casting choices are getting better as the season goes on, uh, as the series goes on. I don't know whether that's higher profile, higher budget, whatever. But yeah, I feel like I feel like the last couple of seasons they haven't really gone wrong with any casting choices. They've casted some really good actors. Like yeah. I think like Queen of Thorns from season three was also a brilliant uh, a brilliant casting too. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, well, they're getting yeah. like more prominent actors. Like, as, mm-hmm. as, like especially Rigamuth, it was more they were getting a lot of lucky amateurs, like people that didn't have much on their records but were still relatively capable. Now yeah. you look at like they're starting Pedro Pascal. I'd never heard of him, so he probably doesn't come under this. But the Queen of Thorns was a relatively well-established, talented actress that they yeah. managed to snag. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think it was also a lot of they had to cast a lot of young actors, and when you're casting young you're kind of taking a risk no matter what because, you know, they could be good, they could be bad, they could look right, they could grow grow out of their their look, they could grow really tall and 
Bran. Bran's going to have a beard by the end of the series. He's just going to look like an old sage. He's He's growing too quickly. We haven't seen him since, what, episode four? And it's now episode Uh, eight. Yes. Five. Five. No, five. Was, was it four episode or five? five that was Christ's King? Christ's King five. five, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a long time. Maybe yeah, he will have a beard. He'll have a five o'clock shadow by the time we get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't see him again Word until, up. what, episode 10, The Children? I mean, will he be in The Watchers on the Wall? I have seen a next next week's episode preview. Maybe you'll like see some wild things go past. Maybe we'll get a cutaway of them just like, we're still heading north, and what's that big pile of smoke in the distance? It's almost like it's the biggest fire the north has ever seen. Let's move on. That's right, let's do that. You bring, let's ring them up and tell them. Yeah, HBO, I am now available for hire for uh, all your writing needs. I've got this great cutaway. Just you, you said a really lame line two seasons ago. Well, just wait, just wait. You're gonna need to sit down for this. <laughs> I have a great segue. <laughs> How did you feel about Oberon saying "Today is not the day I die"? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's so awesome. He steals other characters. Uh, yeah, Jojen yeah. yeah, sure, yeah, just... yeah, can't fight, and he doesn't have a spear. Therefore, he gets no cool lines. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> You can see flaming hands, like... though. Thanks, surely that balances it out. His Victorian hands. <laughs> yeah. Jo- yeah. yeah, all of the Victorian chapters are just Jojen walking into Victorian. I think we're on to something here. <laughs> New theory, Jojen is Victorian. That's why he dies. That's why he disappears in dance, because he um, walks into Victorian Dan Nessos. Theory, guys. Tinfoil hat. Puddle of wine. <laughs> It's been a long day. I'm sorry. Um, how do you think they'll end each of the storylines um, at the end of the season? Like, what? How how far do you think they'll get? I think we've got two episodes. Next episode will be uh, Stannis arriving and saving the day. Mm-hmm. And be. final episode. Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know because they usually. I mean, the, the first season they ended on Danny. Anticlimactic, generally. First Episode season, 10. So. It's usually setting things up for next season, but I think this season will be a big climax because you've got Tywin and uh, Lady Tyrion and Shay. And maybe, oh yeah, Lady Stoneheart. Tywin, Lady Stoneheart. There's potentially Missandei slash Greyjoy dying. They could do that. Greyjoy, uh, Grey Worm. Uh, yeah, like, there's a lot of potential for them to wrap up. Like There's Bran meeting the children. There's a lot of potential for them to actually have like a final episode which is just awesome closer awesome closer yeah. awesome closure just one after the other for once rather yeah, than kind of dithering around and then having one final scene i think i think we really need an extended scene with Tyrion and jamie having their showdown and then we need Varys because we we've really not seen Varys all this season i think we need something at the end something big at the end and then we need, I think, Lady Stoneheart. Well, you know, Tyrion goes up, he kills Shay, he kills Tywin, and just when they think that's the end of the episode, we have the Lady Lady Stoneheart reveal, and I think that will be what keeps people talking because even though Tyrion shooting Tywin and moving, you know, and leaving King's Landing will be really impactful, I think having something that's such a blind sight like Lady Stoneheart, and you can't put it up any longer. 
The episode is yeah. it's slated to be 66 minutes long. Like, they've already booked ah. time for it to run over, so hopefully they'll play it, like, perfectly straight, and it'll end with Tywin disappearing into a ship or whatever at the 60-minute mark, uh, Tyrion. And then, yeah, have six minutes of just a bunch of random people running across uh, under Catelyn Stark. Like, that would be a great surprise. Or they cut to credits, and then after the credits, they have a cutscene. Huh. <laughs> Avengers that style. Would, but that would be amazing, though. How well, you get the two awesome. classes of people, like people that just, oh, credits, goodbye, and then people that like they're talking to, like, oh, what did you think of Catelyn Stark showing up? Huh? What What, what do you want about? What? <laughs> that happened? Yeah. Or even if they just run through the first couple of credits and then sort of bring it in, like fade in. I, I reckon that would be just so awesome to just to really because people by now people think they know how Game of Thrones works. You know, you've got you know everything comes up to episode nine. You have a, a pretty centralized event that happens in episode nine, and then episode ten is a bit eh, whatever. Um, yeah. and I think having something like that really not just Tyrion killing Tywin because I feel like that hopefully by episode ten they'll see we'll see that coming. We'll see something impactful for Tyrion coming. How will he get out of this mess? The problem is they haven't established, they haven't reminded the audience of Tysha, so that's going to lose all of its power. It probably will, though, with the, the, the Tyrion and then Jamie talking. Yeah, and I think and I think having Shay there will be enough. They've made the relationship between Shay and Tyrion so strong that right. mm. killing Shay will that's be true. impactful enough hopefully mm-hmm. and then if they can manage to get lady stoneheart there in the end as some sort of surprise that people think just when it can't get any worse just when you can't have any more cliffhangers he is a character that's been dead for a season and is alive and that they've already established could be alive because we've already had Beric Dondarrion a year ago yeah, yeah. Only I, think, I think Stone is yeah, so hard. I'm, I'm worried though. I'm worried because it'd be a repeat of season two where you had the Blackwater episode, mm. which was so awesome. But then they had to stuff so many sort of uh, finishing scenes for all of the other storylines. And there is a lot for them to wrap up. Mm. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think if they cut a few things, like don't bail, I think the bail thing's yeah. finished. Yeah, um, I hope I hope the veil's yeah. finished for the season. I hope we don't. If they're going to include Brett, Brienne, and Prod, maybe that that would be the the latest. Right. Oh, I think that's the that's that probably that's how it can work. That would that would shit me so much though, because then Brienne's done. Brienne and Prod are done. Like Brienne only has to come across Jamie in the Riverlands doing his thing, which he has a whole another book and a half to do, and Brienne's already like hanging around waiting for him. Uh, sorry. I don't know. Maybe yeah. the hound and Arya running we'll across see, Lady Stoneheart. Like, is they're heading? If they are heading back that way, they may run across them, and Arya might be first exalted, and then that could be the final straw that like breaks her into her psychopath. <coughs> into what? a psychopath state that's seeing her mother undead so she runs off the hound gets like completely brotherhood massive fight that may or may not happen it's <laughs> unlikely but it would be an interesting way for them to take it it would work yeah I don't think it's that unlikely yeah. you've got to do something so. they've already established the hound's gonna die yeah. at that thing because you have that little um, shot in this episode of him scratching his neck and saying it's only a flea bite I think that's pretty that's a foreshadowing of him dying of infection yeah. and yeah, yeah. being killed on the road. Inverted. Um, I, I think dying. Yeah, it's possible. I I think Ari is just going to head Bravos next. Like they've already established Bravos this season, so that'll be her next stop. And she's already had a quote this season about her having friends in Bravos. So where she heads. I mean, uh, there's so much they've got to get through in that final episode. Yeah. Who knows? Are they going to do it all? Hopefully, he doesn't 
shortchange too many too much storylines. As long as I get the Tyrion stuff right, I'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's gonna be the core, even if they do have the big surprise Lady Stoneheart makes two Tyrion's storyline, definitely. It's the best material in the book, that episode. Yeah, it's one of the most gut wrenching scenes. Sorry, Jessica's trying to <laughs> we've almost finished. <laughs> I'll just see if she can get back on so we can fly. Intermission for technical difficulties. Hello. Hello. Oh, there we are. Jessica. Hey. Sorry, I was saying something really important and then Dodo cut my internet. They hate me. <laughs> internet. It's the internet. Yeah, I know. Flies. I was going to say, the internet that flies and they picked an extinct bird. <laughs> <laughs> A flyless extinct yeah, bird. Oh, yeah. Great marketing strategy. Symbol of efficiency and longevity. Nothing says technical advancement like long dead species. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they just interfering in my life can't get game of thrones episodes can't yeah. podcast about game of thrones it's, it's a vendetta yeah so <sighs> i forgot what i was saying what are you guys talking about uh, i think we've kind of finished yeah. any of the other points gone on for longer than we usually do yeah. but um yeah we might just leave it there so that concludes crack and cast for this week uh typically we record on tuesdays at 7 p.m australian eastern standard times you can catch the European episode reviews on Wednesday with the Wolfcast and the American episode reviews on Thursday with the Dragoncast. So thank you for joining me, Bing. Thank you very much. Joseph. Great to be here. Tanya and Jessica. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is why you don't drink in podcasts. I'm so sorry, guys. Thanks for having me, Duncan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seamless. Awesome. Awesome professionalism. <laughs> well, there's, we're, we're almost finished the season, so there's only two more episodes. So hopefully everyone can join us for that. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. See you later. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. As you lay on the ground with the darkness around And the taste of blood on his tongue there's now by him and prayed him a prayer And he smiled and he laughed and he sung Brothers, oh brothers, my days here are done The Dornish man's taking my life But what does it matter for Roman must die And I tasted the Dornish man's wife Oh, Dornish man's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Dornishman's plate was made of black steel And his kiss was a terrible thing Hello? Oh, there we go. Good? Yeah, it seems to be yeah, working. Everyone sounds good. Yeah. No echo, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> promising start. Yeah, <laughs> let's not end up getting flayed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
I know, this was a grim episode for the Krakens. They all have been as of late. We're kind of getting our asses handed to don't have to bones. You <laughs> <laughs> need the water. Uh, actually, have you guys actually seen, like, octopuses moving over land? Because they totally can, and it's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I've seen them. They just kind of pull themselves along, but because no bones, they're kind of like these moving piles of jelly. It's, it's cool that up and on... creepy to watch. <laughs> Octopuses are the creepiest, most alien creatures. They just they don't resemble any sort of <laughs> like humanoid, mammalistic kind of animal. They're like aliens. Yeah. They're very tasty. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. I found a video too. <laughs> you can eat them living, I think. What? Well, they're still alive. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, all the various tentacles are like they have. It's a decentralized nervous system. So if you like cut off a tentacle, it's actually still got part of a brain and it'll move of its own accord. And oh so, my like, god! There are yeah. Literally, meals living tentacles a... that try to fight back as you eat them. Oh god, I have nightmares. There's a, a scene in Old Boy where um he's eating it and it's like Ufus is trying to choke him as he's eating <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> they don't go quietly. <laughs> Kraken never dies. Nope. What is dead, may never die. <laughs> why, why is it even going on land? Why, why can't it just... I, did, I didn't know they could do that. It looks... Oh my god. It's really... I don't think I it don't... only likes to go on land, but we force them to go on land because we capture them. Crabs live in like inland oh, rock yeah. pools and they'll straight up just go cross-country to get a snack and then head back home uh, when they're done. Oh yeah, they do that too. Apparently they are also a nightmare in like pet shops. They have a bad habit of just leaving their tanks, eating other fish, and <laughs> returning to their tanks. <laughs> I have no idea why I know so much about octopi. That's the plural. Yeah. It's a requirement if you want to be on this podcast. You have to know. Yeah. <laughs> in depth. Uh, yeah, in depth octopus knowledge. Exactly. Not enough time. 